Howdy, and welcome to another episode of Wise About Texas. I'm your host, Ken Wise. I want to thank you for tuning in today for a little bit of Texas history. Well, it's been a while since the last episode. I took a little longer break than I like to take. I try not to have too much space between episodes, but real life intervenes from time to time. I had a week where I um, helped coach a moot court team at TCU, Go Frogs, and uh, took the opportunity to speak to the seventh graders at Adams Middle School in Hazlitt, Texas, and had a great time doing that. Um, Came back through Austin for the Texas Supreme Court Historical Society's World War I commemorative program, a special session of the Texas Supreme Court convened in the historic Supreme Court courtroom in the Texas Capitol and commemorated the service of lawyers and judges in World War I, and that was a fantastic event. It coincided with the release of the winter issue of the Texas Supreme Court Historical Society Journal, which is dedicated to World War I. Uh, you can go to texascourthistory.org and get, the, get a copy of that journal and all the back issues. Uh, the journal's very interesting uh, publication, David Furlow, great historian is the editor and uh, the great war issue is very interesting Uh, a little bit of selfish i do have an article published in there about training for the texas and oklahoma units that occurred in san antonio Um, but you're gonna find a lot of very interesting history of some prominent figures in the texas legal world in their service in world war one you know unfortunately world war one Uh, November 11th was the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day, the end of World War I. And and that war is, uh, I hate to use the word forgotten, but it seems to be largely forgotten. It's certainly not discussed very much. That was to be the war that ends all wars. Um, So I thought what I would do for the next couple of episodes is talk about Texas's involvement in the Great War. Texas had an interesting role, as she always seems to, in world events. Uh, she had an interesting role in World War One. so I'm going to cover that starting with this episode. This is going to be three parts, and this is part one of Texas and the Great War. As I mentioned, World War One was said to be the war to end all world wars. There were over 20 million people died from either military action or there was a horrible influenza epidemic during the war uh, that claimed many lives. Chemical weapons and trench warfare created brutal battlefields and very, very gruesome deaths. The U.S. got involved late in World War I, and Texas played a very interesting part in sparking U.S. intervention. So let's go back to the early 20th century and get wise about Texas. The run-up to World War I starts in 1914 Europe, and I'm going to just do the synopsis of this because I want to focus on Texas, and here it is. In June of 1914, Archduke Franz Ferdinand and his wife Sophie were assassinated in Sarajevo by a man named Gavrilo Princip, and that led to war between Austria-Hungary and Serbia. Um, You might say after that, uh, the fighting became general because Germany took the opportunity to invade Belgium, 
British forces arrive in France, and before you know it, you have a world war. Now, I told you that was the short version, and that's about as short as it gets. Um, and while the fighting occurs, uh, quote-unquote, over there, events in Texas and Mexico would soon lead to the U.S. getting involved. Now, in the early 1900s, tensions were very high on the border between Texas and Mexico. Mexico was in a state of revolution and had been for several years. Uh, the leader, Francisco Madero, was overthrown by Porfirio Diaz in 1911. Uh, Victoriano Huerta engaged in a violent overthrow of Diaz in 1913. And then Huerta faced opposition from Venustiano Carranza, who had help and support from both Pancho Villa and Emiliano Zapata. And, of course, uh, all these folks, even though some of them were supposedly on the same side, were fighting amongst themselves also. So things were confused, to say the least. The other problem on the border was there was very little law enforcement, virtually none in Mexico, and it was very difficult uh, to enforce the law on the Texas side. And any time you have lawless conditions like that, the criminals will thrive. Now, there was a lot of gun running to the revolutionaries. Uh, there was a lot of cattle stealing going on and um, a lot of opportunities to, to harass uh, the rural residents and rob them, etc. The lawbreakers were having a field day. And when faced with that situation, citizens are sometimes prone to take the law into their own hands, defend themselves and property. And the result of all of that is general chaos, and that's what we had in the early 20th century on the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, the Texas-Mexico border has always been a pretty rough place. Uh, it is rural. It still is. It's uh, inaccessible in many places and still is, and I've spent a lot of time down there, uh, both uh, business and pleasure, do a lot of hunting in South Texas below the Nueces River, and uh, have sat as a visiting judge in several counties in South Texas over my career. And uh, it's, a, it's a tough place because uh, it is vast. You don't realize there's two places in Texas you can travel if you really want to get an idea, uh, maybe three, of the scope of Texas. Uh, one of them, of course, far west Texas and Big Bend. The other uh, up in north Texas, north of Lubbock, and uh, the third, I would say, is in South Texas. You don't realize how much territory is down there. And so it was very difficult to police that area. Um, the U.S. military in Texas, it was called the Southern Department, and it was under the command of General Frederick Funston. But General Funston was stationed at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio. So he starts a few hundred miles away. From the border. So as tensions rise, it's almost impossible for him to respond as timely as he needs to. Well, there were several complaints, and several is an understatement, many complaints about uh, raiders and bandits coming across the border from Mexico and uh, harassing the Texas citizens. But it all seemed very far away to General Funston, and it would happen fast. So he wouldn't um, be able to get down there in time to do anything about it. Anyway, uh, Funston himself doubted how much of the trouble was actually from Mexico and how much was actually originating on Texas soil. There was a little bit of both, so he had uh, difficulty assessing the degree of the problem. Now, uh, 
eventually a Texas Ranger named Hewlin, Eugene Hewlin, and a man named Sitter, who was a U.S. Customs inspector and former Texas Ranger, were killed in an ambush in the Big Bend area near Marfa. Now, that got Funston's attention, but again, no meaningful action was taken. And there was also a conflict, and this is timely to this very day, between what the military can do and what state authorities can do or should do. Um, The military is not able to perform pure law enforcement functions on U.S. soil uh, under federal law, and so it's difficult to determine if and when the military should be involved. And that was causing Funston some further confusion. Um, The governor of Texas at the time was James Ferguson, Paul Ferguson. And we're going to do some episodes about the Fergusons. I've got the transcript of his impeachment trial on my bookshelf, and I need to work on that. Uh, Ferguson was, uh, to put it mildly, corrupt. And so not much was going on with respect to law enforcement. And so the lawless conditions thrived and the chaos thrived. That chaos would continue until in January 1915, a document was discovered that would turn up the heat on the border considerably, a document that was supposed to start a war. Nobody is really sure how this document was discovered. A local judge claimed to have lived across the street from the house where this plan was hatched in San Diego, Texas. A deputy sheriff separately arrested two individuals and discovered the document in their possession. But whenever it was discovered, it was shocking. We now refer to it as the Plan of San Diego. Here was the plan. On February 20th, 1915, all Mexicans would rise up in armed insurrection. This rebellion was to be fought to seek, quote, the independence of Yankee tyranny, close quote. Another part of the plan was that Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, California, and Colorado would be declared an independent Mexican republic, and Mexico was to annex that territory uh, after it had become established. Now, that sounds a little familiar, doesn't it? It sounds a little bit like the Texas Revolution uh, and the planned annexation to the United States. The other part of the plan would be that the Indians would be allocated their own land. Every North American male over 16 years old would be killed. Black Americans would be given six states of their own that they could pick and could form an independent republic. And after all of that was done, six more states, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Utah, would be conquered to form an additional buffer against what one of the conspirators in this plan described as, quote, the damned big-footed creatures of the North, close quote. Well, several individuals were arrested in connection with this conspiracy, and they confessed, actually, to helping form the plan of San Diego. Uh, The secretary for the group was a gentleman named A.S. Garza, and he wrote, Uh, in one of his notes that a Carranza general would certainly accept the plan of San Diego, and he would accept it as a, quote, and this is what Garza wrote, quote, challenge to the death to the white-faced hogs of Pennsylvania, close quote. 
Now, I'm not sure why Garza hated Pennsylvania so much, um, but that's what he wrote. Um, nobody really took the plan very seriously. It was almost inconceivable uh, that it could be executed, and, and of course it is inconceivable that it could be executed. One of the conspirators was put on trial, and uh, the judge said from the bench that instead of being tried for this plot, he ought to be tried for lunacy. Uh, so um, nobody thought the plan of San Diego was going to actually work, but it was shocking to find a document calling for a race war uh, in the possession of somebody in Texas. But here's what was serious at the time, and that's Germany. German merchants were enjoying great success in Mexico. Unlike other foreigners in Mexico, Germans didn't own a lot of Mexican land, and so they didn't run afoul of the various revolutionaries and their causes because those revolutionaries were a lot about, if you go back and read some of the things that they wrote, and it really doesn't matter who you pick, um, they talked a lot about Mexican ownership of land because uh, uh, of the agrarian nature of much of northern Mexico. And so ownership of land was a big deal. Where the German merchants you know, didn't really own a lot of land. They were more involved in trade, which, of course, benefited everyone, uh, German shipping, et cetera. And so uh, they didn't offend uh, whichever revolutionary uh, of the moment was in power. And so they became, Germans in Mexico became fairly significant, powerful citizens. Well, what the Germans were doing while they were fighting in Europe was they were organizing bands of German citizens to spread propaganda designed to create a conflict between the U.S. and Mexico, because if they could could uh, help that conflict along and occupy the U.S.'s attention to the southern border, it would keep the U.S. out of the war and off their backs in Europe. Uh, that's a very simplified version of what was going on. Um, eventually, there was a Senate committee uh, convened by Senator Albert Fall to conduct hearings on the problems at the Texas-Mexican border and those hearings, the transcription of those hearings, by the way, is over 3,500 pages. Um, I have, I confess I have not read all of it. I have read a substantial part of it. And if you would like to read 3,500 pages about the trouble with Texas and Mexico, uh, email me at host at wiseabouttexas.com. I'll send you a link to those documents. Um, but, the, but the tone of the hearing was definitely anti-Mexico. And there, there is some question among historians about some of the people that were involved in the hearing and whether their interests were really commercial um, and whether the testimony was all that accurate about what was really going on in the border. But nevertheless, you find a lot of information in there about the troubles on the border. It's very interesting. Well, the violence was continuing in southern Texas, so the German policy seemed to be working. In fact, Almost at one point, almost all General Funston kept asking for more troops and more troops, and almost all of the U.S. combat-ready troops were in Texas and focused on this border trouble. Um, Woodrow Wilson, the president, also had not recognized the Carranza government, which infuriated Carranza. In fact, the U.S. hadn't recognized any Mexican government as official for several years. Finally, Wilson did recognize the Carranza government as official. And wouldn't you know it, right after he did that, Carranza replaced all of his 
battlefield commanders in northern Mexico. And the, the uh, forces, Carranza's forces, retreated more toward the interior of Mexico, and the banditry on the border largely ended. What a coincidence. Um, but uh, recall that the revolution, the various revolutionaries were also fighting with each other. So uh, we still had Pancho Villa to deal with because he had gotten crosswise with Carranza, whom he had formerly supported. And trying to keep up with all of this is, uh, is difficult, to say the least. Um, Movia was now mad at the United States because the U.S. had recognized Carranza's government. Uh, so he began raiding into Texas and New Mexico. Now, the most famous of these raids uh, occurred at Columbus, New Mexico, in March of 1916, when several hundred of Villa's troops killed 17 civilians. Um, in response to that, Wilson sent General John J. Pershing, Black Jack Pershing, with approximately 6,000, I think 6,000 is the number, uh, men into Mexico to chase Pancho Villa, uh, who they never caught, by the way. That was called the, quote, punitive expedition, close quote. Uh, but they didn't, it wasn't very punitive because they never got via. Um, but suffice to say, the U.S. troops were uh, significantly occupied as Germany had wanted them to be. Well, there was one more piece of information that uh, helped the U.S. get involved in World War I. It was a telegram. In January of 1917, British codebreakers deciphered a telegram from German Foreign Minister Arthur Zimmerman to the German minister in Mexico. And what this telegram did was offer some of the United States territory to Mexico if Mexico would join with Germany and wage war against the U.S. So it wasn't exactly as detailed as the Plan of San Diego, but was effectively the same. The British actually held on to this telegram for about a month, allowing uh, the U.S.-German tensions to rise. Uh, they were rising. U.S., um, long story short, the Germans had, had refrained from attacking British shipping, but Britain had blockaded uh, continental Europe, so the Germans started sinking British ships. In response, the U.S. severed diplomatic ties with Germany, and so tensions were high. Well, this telegram put them over the edge and it totally swayed U.S. public opinion in favor of involvement in World War I. So the agitation on the Texas border, plus Germany's uh, essentially confirming their policy of keeping Texas and Mexico at odds, uh, finally pushed the United States to enter World War I. In Part Two of Texas and the Great War, We'll talk about the preparation for war. Preparing for war requires training. Training requires land, and Texas had it. So we'll talk about Texas's role in preparing our troops for entry into World War I next time on Part 2 of Texas and the Great War. Now we come to the part of the episode I call Getting There, where I'll tell you how to see some of the places mentioned in the episode. This is a little bit of a tough one. Um, because the activities on the Texas-Mexico border occurred all up and down the river. Um, there is actually a Pancho Villa Museum in Durango, Mexico. I have not been to it, but uh, they have a website. You can Google Pancho Villa Museum. 
and you will see it. Uh, the ranger attack that I mentioned occurred in Marfa, Texas. Always a fun place to visit if you can get out west over the holidays. Uh, head over to Marfa. Um, anywhere in the Big Bend area, uh, you will be around places where VIA raided. Uh, you'll be in the territory where many of these troubles occurred. Uh, but they also occurred uh, closer to Brownsville and down along the river in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, there was a ranch, uh, Los Indios Ranch near Lyford, Texas, was attacked a couple of times. The King Ranch was attacked. The Norius Division of the King Ranch was famously attacked in 1915. And uh, I haven't spent a lot of time on details of these because they're great stories in and of themselves. And in part two, we'll have some more specific locations for you. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. Before I leave, I want to give you a little bit of trivia. Um, I've talked in prior episodes about having some personal experience or connection to a lot of the stories that we talk about just through my love of history and uh, sometimes through pure coincidence. But I actually knew someone who rode with Pancho Villa. Uh, Leo, his name was Aurelio, but Leo Reynosa operated Leo's Mexican Restaurant here in Houston. And it closed several years ago, unfortunately, but Mr. Reynosa was at the restaurant almost every day, and uh, he had uh, joined Villa's forces as an account clerk and spent a lot of time uh, with Pancho Villa in a very important role. And I always uh, love to listen to the stories of those times and uh, eat at Leo's Mexican Restaurant. Uh, you may be familiar with Leo's even if you've never been there because the inside cover of ZZ Top's famous album Trace Hombres has a huge Mexican dinner from Leo's. So go look up uh, the album cover for ZZ Top's Trace Hombres and you'll get a little flavor literally of what uh, Leo's was all about. And I miss that restaurant very much. Um, all right. Well, thanks for listening today. You'll find us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Wise About Texas. Go like the Wise About Texas Facebook page. And if you feel like supporting the promotion and preservation of Texas history, go to patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas, and you can do just that. Thanks for listening. Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road. <music>